boys and girls to junior church, and there's a boys class as well. And so um, any boy like fourth grade and up who would like to go to the boys class can meet Mr. Dell in the back, and any of the junior church children can meet Diane in the back, and uh, just follow those adults. That's what you ought to do. I trust that you had a good Thanksgiving and uh, that it was full of blessings and thankfulness. Now, anytime you get a lot of family together and a lot of food together and a lot of stressful food preparation together, um, the complaints or the stress may rise and the thankfulness may go. But hopefully you had a really, really good um, Thanksgiving or a time to reflect. Uh, sometimes after the Thanksgiving is the time to be thankful, right? You get to rest and uh, food's done and you have a refrigerator full of leftovers. Um, I trust the services went well yesterday for memorial service for Ray McCaffrey. I saw many, many cars here and heard good report about it all. And um, I'm sure his family very much appreciates the love and um, all that was put into that and, and just the um, prayers for that, continue to pray for them. I've said this a couple times over the last few weeks, but holidays are not always easy. Um, sometimes they're more difficult, not just because of the stressful things, but because the reminders of things that could have been that aren't, or things that in people's minds should be but aren't. They're sometimes a reminder of broken dreams and the brokenheartedness and things that they wish could have been. And so holidays aren't always, um, you know, smiles and wonderful things. Uh, they can be, but sometimes they are um, heartbreaking in all of those different ways. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to two different places. Romans chapter 4. I do want to read a passage from Romans 4 in a little while. And then I want to preach from a verse in Ephesians chapter 3. And so Romans chapter 4 and then Ephesians chapter 3. Right before we were about to sing that song, I ran over to Greg and I said, you know this song? And he said, well, like this. And he said, it's really uh, hallelujah, what a savior, just different words. And I said, oh, okay. I understand that when they started singing and it didn't matter what the words were. I'm not on tune anyway, but I said, I know that tune, but I did not know that rendition of that song, but sung uh, beautifully. And so I appreciate that very much. So all I could think about with these candles is someone is going to knock them over. Now, I know you guys have years of experience. All I have is six kids. So all I can think about is disaster, but it looks beautiful. So those that did decorate um, did a wonderful job and it, it looks tremendous up here. It's very festive and wonderful. Let's open up in prayer, <clears throat> and then um, we'll look at this this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for how much you loved us. Lord, that you knew every single detail about us, every single wrongdoing, every wrong thought, every wrong action, and every shameful, um, Father, thing that we've ever done. And yet you still loved us, and not just still loved us, but still loved us so much that you sent your only begotten Son, Lord, your perfect, holy, righteous Son, to leave his throne on heaven, to come to earth, to die in our place, to suffer all of the shame and agony of our sin, to be tortured on the cross for our iniquities. And Lord, for that reason, Lord, you loved us in that reason, Lord, and you sent your Son. And Lord, we can never be thankful enough for that. Lord, I pray, Father, anyone here who's not tasted the wonderful, glorious gift of Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of salvation for them. Lord, I pray for us who endeavor to follow you, Lord, that you would give us the strength and the power to be able to do so. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would just uh, give us the grace we need day by day as we fail you all the time continually. And Lord, I pray for the anointing today, Lord, that we might hear from heaven, we might be changed, we might be challenged, we might be helped this morning, not by the words of men, Lord, but by the presence of the Holy Spirit and the perfect and errant word of God. And so, Lord, I pray that you do a spiritual work in our midst, Father, one that we would know, Lord, that you met with us. And Lord, so we ask that you'd empty us of ourselves, that we'd be outside ourselves, Lord, that we might be uh, filled with you, Lord, that you might be in our way and we'd be out of the way. And Lord, we give you all the glory now. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I've heard discouragement defined like this, the loss of heart. And I've heard depression described as the loss of hope. I don't know if those are real clinical definitions, but I, it does make sense. You lose a little heart, you feel a little discouraged. You lose hope, and you feel what might be called depressed. Today the church lit a candle to represent the first week of Advent, which 
I'm told, is hope. So I asked the question this morning, not as to be an assigned. Nobody assigned us a topic today. But as I was praying through and looking over some verses in the Bible, there was one verse that really stuck out in my heart that I wanted to preach on, or that I feel like God wanted us to preach on. And it kind of does surround the idea of hope. So I'll ask you, what is hope? If we light a candle about hope and we talk about hope and we, and we, we say it's a biblical word and, and Christ is our blessed hope, what does that mean? I don't know if you ever thought about it this way, though. The world is empty of hope and desperately looking for hope. And they're looking for hope in anything they can try to find it in. I mean, it might be in relationships. It might be in the materialistic purchasing of things. It might be in sports and entertainment. It might be in eating. It might be in, in self-medicating. It might be in, in all forms of things. They're looking for something to make this life worth it, something that they can grab hold of and say, I can hope in that. But I want, I want you to think of it this way. And, I want, uh, and after we define what hope means, I think this will make more sense. The world's hope at best, is a mixture of wishful thinking and what might be best described as coincidence and luck. Now, I don't believe in coincidence and luck, so let me explain what I mean. Here's how I want to describe hope. Let's pretend you're a father and you are telling your kids, tomorrow we're going to go to an amusement park. Tomorrow we're going to go to Disney World or Six Flags or next week. I mean, did you ever see those, um, those unveilings? I, I love Disney World. <clears throat> if you hate Disney World, I apologize. I love Disney World. I don't necessarily love everything Disney in the world, but I do love Disney World. It's my favorite place in the world to be. Um, but I've seen those reveals where, like, the morning that they're going to leave, somebody opens up a present, and it's, we're going to Disney World, pack your bags up, and the kids go crazy and excited. Pretend you're a father, though, and you tell your children, tomorrow we're going to go to an amusement park. And the children believe you because they believe your word. They believe the word of the father. That's faith. They have faith in what you just said. Now, after they hear that we're going to an amusement park, they grow more and more excited at each passing hour. They begin to anticipate. They begin to picture the rides. They smell the popcorn. They smell the cotton candy. They smell the funnel cake. They begin to hear the sounds of the joyful screams of the roller coasters. And they can't wait every increasing moment. They get more and more excited about what is going to happen. My friend, that is biblical hope. Faith is believing what the Father has said. Hope is joyfully waiting for it, expecting for it. Hope is the expectant end, the joyful confidence in what the Father has said. So I go back to what I said earlier. How can the world rightly have hope? What are they hoping in? Without Christ... It's wishful thinking. I hope this will happen. And the world tries to relabel, or Satan tries to relabel it, this whole, and, and, and forgive me if this offends you, but the whole manifestation movement is wishful thinking hope. I hope the universe will give back to me what I put into it. I have something way better because you're hoping in something that's inanimate. You're hoping in something that can't deliver. You're hoping in something that has no a conscience or creative power. I got something better. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in Christ who can hear you, who does hear you, and can give you that expected end. <clears throat> but the world hopes for, I have faith this will happen. I'm hoping this will happen. Will it happen? I don't know wishful thinking, or we might call it luck and coincidence. Now I understand God can certainly bless the unbelievers and those who don't follow Christ, and certainly allows good and decent things to happen to many people in the world. But I'll tell you, it, when those good things happen to people in the world, they're not due to hope. They're not due to them believing the word of the Father and joyfully waiting for it to come to pass. Now, <clears throat> I do want to put a disclaimer before we go any further. <clears throat> the last couple weeks, we did talk about disappointing things. Last week in particular, we talked about in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. <clears throat> what that means is we give thanks even when things are going badly. 
So the disclaimer is sometimes things will go bad. This thing that we're talking about today, hope, (coughs) is not like a genie. It is not a, um, I'm going to make this happen, and all good things will only ever happen. Sometimes the hope is in the bad times. Sometimes it is God knows what's best, and I'm joyfully waiting, even though this is painful, even though this is a trial, even though this circumstance is terrible, I'm joyfully awaiting what God is going to do in this. I don't feel euphoric. I don't feel excited. I don't feel, yeah, but I'm joyfully waiting. Let me remind you, this is the passage I was going to preach on today. I was, I was at the earlier on the week, but God moved away from it. But it kind of does fit in here. And that's Philippians chapter 4, where, where Paul is in prison. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. He's in prison for serving God. And while in prison, he pens these words, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That is hope. That is him saying, despite circumstances, despite what might be around me, I am rejoicing in Christ to see what he is going to do, how he's going to use this circumstance for his glory. Sometimes that's where your hope is going to lie. Other times your hope is going to be, God, I'm calling on you to do this wonderful work, and God, I'm expecting you to do it because in your word you said this. That's what the biblical word hope is expecting the joy or joyfully awaiting in confidence what God said he was going to do and so friend uh, uh, we start off with this concept the Bible says whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and there's a lot more to say about being saved but I know this The day I called on Jesus to forgive me of my sins, and trust me, my sins abound. And the Bible says where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. I know I deserve to go to hell. And I'm not just saying as a cliche thing, I absolutely live every day knowing I deserve to go to hell. But I know this, that when I called on Christ to save me, He saved me. That's where my faith lies. And what is my hope? That when I die, I'm in heaven. I joyfully wait for heaven as my expected end. Not because I've earned it, not because I deserve it, far from it, but rather that is what hope is. Hope gives me faith and confidence in what God has already said in his word. And so if you're a believer, you know joyfully that when the pains of this life pass on, you will be where the Bible describes, and all tears shall be wiped away, and there shall be no more sorrow. No more pain, for the former things are passed away. You have that hope. You have that expected end. You know for sure it's going to happen. And so we delight in that. And so if you're here today and you don't know where you'd go when you die, your hope is at best, I hope this is true. I hope something good will happen. I hope God will let me into heaven. I hope there is a God. I hope there's not a God. I hope that... Uh, you know, I I reincarnate. I hope that I I put positive energy. You're crossing your fingers. The Word of God is not a crossing of the fingers, and I hope this to be true. The Word of God is an absolute, perfect truth established in His Word. We believe it, and then we await for it. And so if you're here today and you don't know for sure you're going to heaven, I want to implore you, I want to encourage you, I want to beseech you, I want to beg you, I want to shake you, I want to plead with you. Call on Christ to save you today from your sins. You and I both deserve to go to hell. But God can save you today if you're not already saved. But believer, I want to talk to you now. Do you have hope? Do you have hope in Christ? Hope is something past faith. It's knowing something to be true and then joyfully waiting for it. Romans chapter 4, we open up to this part of Romans chapter 4. I want to begin reading verse number 13. Some of the things, and I'll, I'll, I'll go over this in a minute, some of the reasons why we lose hope in God as believers is not because we don't know the Word of God. But sometimes these questions come 
or these doubts come through our mind. These concepts of, well, how do I know He is able? How how do I know He can do this? God can't do this. And, And if you convince yourself that God can do it, here's the next doubt. God won't. God can't, but even if He can, He probably won't. And why would for me? I'm not deserving it. Why would God bring any benefit to my life or any positive to my life? Why should I have any hope that He's going to do good to me? I don't deserve it. It may even come, this is whatever I'm asking God is impossible. Those are some of the doubts that come through a believer that rob a believer of hope. Rob a believer of that joyful expectancy. Think about this. Here's the reality and the truth of the Word of God, right? We have faith that He died for our sins and that we're going to heaven. We should joyfully be waiting for it. But what is often the emotions of believers inside of a church? And it's not because, and that's when we're genuine. When we're, in, when we're disingenuous, we're like this. And then we get back in the car. Or Monday morning. And I'm being polite. But what should we be? Shouldn't we be the most joyous people on earth? Not as a fake, not as a facade, not as a pretend. No pretentiousness. But shouldn't we be, hey, listen, whatever happens here, it's but for a moment I am going to heaven. I I have a walk with God. God loves me. We should joyfully do it. The joy of the Lord is our strength, and absolutely Satan, one of his targets in your life, is to rob you of that joy. And the way he robs you of that joy is to begin to rob you of hope. Because if you have no joy in Christ, you're going to be very weakened, very discouraged. Like we said earlier, the robbing of hope may feel very depressed. We come to Romans chapter 4. Look at verse 13. Don't worry about some of the language here. I want, I want you to get to the narrative. I'll explain the narrative. We're not going through a detailed exposition of Romans 4. We're getting to the narrative of it. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. This is when God, here, here's the background before we get into it. Abraham was 75 years old, lived in a pagan culture, godless culture. God came to Abraham, his name was Abram at the time, and called him out at 75 years old. He lived an entire life worshiping false gods. At 75, God called Abraham out of the era of the Chaldees and said, come to me, follow me, I will show you of these promises that I have for you. I will make of you a mighty nation. I will have this promised land for for your descendants the, the Israelites and all of these things. And the Bible says that Abraham believed God. Abraham did not grow up in a house of Christian faith or of Jewish faith. He was far from it. Pagan culture, 75 years old. God calls him out. And he just was silly enough to follow God. So this is part of that promise. Verse 14, For if they were of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace, to the end the promise might be sure, to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Now watch this. Who against hope, believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Understand this, he called out Abraham 
And everything in the world said no. Then when he followed God, when Abraham followed God, God gave him this really wonky promise. Because now he said, I'm going to make of you the father of many nations. And it's going to be through Sarah. And Sarah's 90 years old. And they start doing the math. God must not know what he's talking about. Because this is impossible. And we do understand this. It's kind of interesting language. It said it basically almost says, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body. He staggered not in the promise through unbelief. And I kind of think Abraham's life, and I think, I think he did kind of stagger through unbelief. He said, Sarah can't have a child. Sarah knows she can't have a child. Sarah's come to me and says, I can't have a child. Maybe we got this wrong. Let us go out and get Hagar, a handmaid, and you can have a child through her. And they do. And it's messed up the rest of history. I mean, if you really want to get into it, the Arabs and the Jews fighting as due to the, to the Ishmael and an Isaac conflict all the way from back then. Beside that point, God gets, said Sarah is going to have a child. Everything about them said, this is not possible. And yes, they did in their humanity struggle with it. But understand this, I love this verse here, who against hope believed in hope. There was no, they said, man, there's everything against this. It shouldn't be. But I'm going to take God at his word. And when I take God at his word, if I really am believing it, if I really am going to take God at his word, then I am truly believing with my whole heart that it's going to happen. And if it's going to happen, man, that is exciting. Think about this. If you're Sarah and you have no children, and you're told by God you're going to have a child. Yes, all those doubts flood in, all those confusions flood in, all those what-ifs and how, and I'm not sure, and, and I laugh at God even, right? Isaac means she laughs, or he laughs, and, and all those things. But imagine when she gets hold of it and says, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. God's really going to do this. God's really, God's really going to do this. And Abraham starts now to believe Wait, God's really going to make of me a mighty nation and give this promised land to my descendants? And wow, God's really going to do this. That hope is what leads Abraham to bring Isaac up to the mountain to sacrifice him. So if you're not familiar with the story, uh, at 95 years old, Sarah has the child and and, um, and they're starting to raise him. And then sometime when, when Isaac seemed to be a young man, we don't know exactly the age, but when he seems to be a young man, God says to Abraham, now this is his son of promise, right? It's going to be Abraham, and then it's going to be through Isaac, and then through Isaac's children, uh, and then through their descendants is going to be this mighty nation that God has promised. Now God says, Abraham, I want you to bring Isaac up to Mount and I want you to kill him there. So they're going up the mountain, and you know there's that one phrase that probably um, makes us, our eye go up and probably breaks every father's heart because Isaac says, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide a sacrifice. Now, I promise you this. Abraham has no idea what God's going to do. He has a thought of what God's going to do. And if you want to look that up, that's in Hebrews chapter 11. Here's I'm going to tell you in a minute. They get up there, and Isaac is like, where's the sacrifice? He says, well, funny you ask that. i got to have to tie you up. Or I'm going to have to lie you down on the altar. You are the sacrifice. And somehow, there doesn't seem to be a struggle. doesn't seem to be a fight. Do you know what Abraham really... I didn't know this until years after I heard the story, read the story. It wasn't that God, I mean, Abraham did not think God was going to do this. God does do that, right? He's going to start to plunge the knife in and the angel's going to stop, the angel of the Lord's going to stop the hand. Abraham does not believe that's going to happen. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham accounted that God was going to raise him from the dead. So what he thinks is he's going to get up there and he thinks, I'm going to kill Isaac and God's going to bring him back from the dead. And I want you to see this now. There's kind of, he, he believes wholeheartedly in the Word of God. He's, he's failed faith a couple times, but now he's starting to get hold of it and he starts to believe the Word of God in a joyful expectation and the expected end. And he gets up there and he's going to, he, this is what he's thinking. I'm going to kill my son and God's going to raise him from the dead. This is going to be really cool. 
This is going to be re- this is going to be awesome. Sometimes we pour, we, we picture it as this like real somber, scary thing. That's how I kind of rationalize in my mind. I would be devastated. I would not have the faith of Abraham. But if we understand what it says in Hebrews eleven, and we understand what hope is, I think Abraham ha- has that hope against hope. He has this hope. He believed in hope. So not only that he's going to be the father of many nations, not only that Sarah's going to have a child, but then as he begins to plunge that knife, he's thinking God is going to raise this boy back from the dead. Because he has to, because he said he's going to make of him a mighty nation. And this boy Isaac got no children yet. And so God's going to bring him back from the dead. I'm going to get to witness that this is going to be really cool. That's what hope looks like, even in despair. That's what hope grabs hold of you and says, trust me, I know best. Watch what's going to happen. Watch what I'm going to do. It's amazing, right? Because faith and hope are so, are so closely related. And we want to have our hands on the steering wheel at all times, don't we? We want, no, 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 I'm not taking my hands off. And God's like, let me steer it. No, no. We have this envision God's going to steer us right through a brick wall. Sometimes he does. And sometimes the wall falls down. Sometimes the wall doesn't fall down, it falls on us, and sometimes we escape it. And sometimes the wall falls down on us and he brings us home to heaven. All I'm telling you is sometimes he does bring us through the brick wall, but he knows best, and sometimes he doesn't. But what we can say is this. I can't wait to see what God is going to do because that I know he loves me, and I know he's a good God, and I know he's a good, good father, and I don't maybe understand the process by which he is bringing me through this trial, or I don't know what he's going to do to bless me or bless my family or to lead us, and he's not obligated to give us any goodness here, but he promises that he will. And if not even that, we have the expectant, earnest expectation of our hope in heaven. I can't wait to see what God is going to do. And all of a sudden, our countenance comes back to us. All of a sudden, and my church knows this, I liken the joy and faith and hope to the Grinch that stole Christmas. That after he takes away, the Grinch robs all the good things. The morning of Christmas morning, there's Cindy Lou Who and all her little Who's down in Whoville. And they're singing, their joy has not been taken, despite all the difficult circumstances that happen, right? I use that kind of as an illustration just to say what believers should have in this hope. That we have this expected end. I know that God knows best and He loves me, and I can't wait to see what God is going to do. And even if the world and devil snarl and spit and take away everything that I hold dear and all this goodness that I enjoy and all the comfort that I'm used to, I am not going to fail or fall because I know that God is going to see me through this however He sees it to be fit. And I can't wait to see what God is going to do. All of a sudden, our countenance changes, right? All of a sudden, we have a different pep in our step unless we start to wallow in it's not fair and how come and 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 it's not right no 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 i'm with you some things that god chooses for us are difficult but god knows best and i can't wait to see what god is going to do i want to bring you to one more verse here before we jump over to ephesians chapter 3 look down in verse number 21 and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perf- also to perform. He believed that God was able. That full persuasion leads him to joyful hope. Hope in what God has. Now jump over to Ephesians chapter 3. Same writer who wrote Romans wrote Ephesians. He's writing to a different audience, this first one to the Roman audience, and he's going over the, the, the balance between the law and grace and salvation, and, and that, uh, by the way, Abraham was not saved by the law. That's what that po- point of that purpose was. He was saved by faith. That was it. But we come to Ephesians chapter 3 now. Because sometimes we have those questions. Is God able to do, move this mountain? I know he is, but will he? And why should he do it for me? And this is impossible. And I don't think it's going to happen. I don't, 
I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it can happen. Whatever it is you're praying for, or whatever it is you're waiting for in the will of the Lord, I don't know if it's going to happen. Ephesians chapter 3 now. Look at verse 14. We'll start there. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, and length, and depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now watch this verse. Here's where your hope is. Your hope is in Christ, but watch this verse. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus throughout all the ages, world without end. Amen. Now look at that verse. I want to break that verse down for just a little bit. Now unto him that is able. The little kids sing the song, he is able. He is able. I'm not about to sing it. I, my, myself wants to sing it. But then there's an inner man that says, if you do that, there's no coming back because they will know how bad of a singer you are. So that's the best you get. They sing the song, He is able. Whatever it is in your life that you think God can't, He can. When things become impossible for man, they become possible for God. Jeremiah 32, 17, we have the question, is there anything too hard for God? Let me read you what Jeremiah writes. And he's about, he's about to see captivity, right? He's about to see the people brought into captivity, and it's hard. And he's called the weeping prophet because he writes lamentations, which literally means crying. Because no one listens. But he writes, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by the great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Later on in that chapter, he writes, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Friend, we're not putting our faith in some kind of God of nature or the God of the trees or the God, the sun God or the, or the moon God or the God of harvest. We have the God, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, who in six days, and could have done it in a moment's instance, but in six days spoke the earth and the universe and everything that is out there into existence by just His spoken word. The Bible says that He holds the span of the universe, or the universe in the span of His hand, measures out the waters, knows the amount of sand on the sea, knows how many hairs are on our head. Says that with a faith that with a, a faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, you can see mountains moved. We know that God is able. If you're there today and you're doubting, can God do something? I'm telling you, friend, He is able. He can. He is strong enough. He is powerful enough. There is nothing too hard for our God. No matter what it is, we look at this world and man, it seems to be caving in on us and, and another variant and another worrisome thing and, and the government this and, and, and the foreign powers that and, and the economy this and my own personal life that and my own struggles this, all these things. And we know this. There is one that sits on the throne whose throne is never threatened, whose throne is never, never vacant. And he is able, he is able, he is able. Friend, what you are trusting in in God and in Christ is a God who is able. But the verse doesn't stop there. Is able to do exceeding abundantly above all. Paul is trying to pile up every word he can find in the Greek to say, boom, boom, boom. I want you to know what he's able to do. He's not just able to move a mountain. He's able to, what you think of, I want you to muster up what you can think of. He can do more. Not just a little more. 
way more. Not just way more, exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Whatever you can muster up, whatever the great poets can think about, whatever the great authors can think about, whatever the great movie makers can make about all these, whatever the painters and the artists can do on their canvases and in their sculptures, God can do way more, way more exceeding and abundant. So He's not just able to move that mountain. He's able to do things you couldn't even fathom. Exceeding and abundant. Uh, some we have this um, this water filter at home that was a, a, a pure or Britex, one of those, and you got to fill up the top, and then it filters down into the bottom. Well, more often than not, when we go to fill it up, we wash all the dishes and we put put it in there, and we put the water on. Nobody wants to sit there and wait for the water. And in our house, or maybe I can only speak for me, with a super ADHD mind who forgets everything. Right? When we take those quizzes, like, are you ADHD? Do you forget where you leave things? Do you forget things all the time? I'm like, like three thumbs up. There's only two thumbs up on them. I'm like, yes, always. Now you have to get used to that because my mind moves 100 miles an hour, and if I didn't think about it a second ago, I didn't think about it now. I thought about it two seconds ago and then never thought again. And so it might be 20 minutes later, the water's running. I'm like, why is the water running? What kid put the water on? And then I'm thinking, oh, what has happened? The water has been filling up and pouring out, all washing all the outside of it. It's washing the sink. It's just pouring out and pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. Now imagine if I left that on indefinitely. That gives you a small picture of what it means to be exceedingly abundant above all. Isn't that awesome that our God can do that? How are we ever at a dead end or in a corner? How are we ever in, in uh-oh, what are we going to do now? Now, I may not know what to do now. And I may not know what the right choice is at any juncture. And I may not, I'm, I, and I might get my hand on the steering wheel and we go through the brick wall we shouldn't have went through because I, I had to touch the steering wheel. Absolutely. But is there ever going to be a time where, uh-oh, what do we do now? There's all is lost. No. Because there's the King of Kings. There's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is able, and not only able, but He can do way more. Pile it up more than you can what? Then it says, ask or think. Ask or think. Whatever you can think of and whatever you can ask. Right? It's Christmas season. Kids are writing out Christmas lists. Here's what I'd like. I would like this or I would like that. And people all over, right? I would like this. I would like that. It's okay to have a wish list to God. Not that He's a genie. Not that he always answers in materialistic things. Not that he even cares to answer in materialistic things. But he is a good father that loves you. Praying means asking. It says pray without ceasing. You can ask. Now there's a lot more that goes with praying, like supplication, thanksgiving. There, there's things like that. There are, there's, glorif- there's praising and glorying his, glorifying his name. There, there's a lot of things. But the word praying does mean asking. You can ask God. Because He's able, so you're asking the right person, to do more than you ever could ask or think. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. Isn't that amazing? God knew you, loved you enough to send you His Son that you could be saved and be with Him. He wants to be with you so badly, He gave up His Son. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And His disciples get a little frantic. No, 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 you can't leave. No, 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 you've got to stay. And he said, if I stay here, you can't get the comfort. You can't get the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to prepare a place for you. I don't know what God has prepared for you here on earth. But I do know what a little bit of what he has prepared for you in heaven if you're saved. The Bible describes, you want to see what the beauty of the city of God looks like? You look at Revelation. Talk about the street of gold and the walls 
around it, the thickness of the walls and made of jasper and 12 different foundations with 12 different jewels embedded in them, pearly gates and a mansion in heaven prepared for you and for me who are saved. Not because we deserve it, we don't. But I also want to encourage your heart here on earth. We know what God can do. We know that He loves us. And we know that God is not always about trials. Yes, there are many trials that He's allowed. And there are many attacks of Satan. But sometimes God just blesses. Sometimes God just paves the way. Sometimes God just, just gives us. And we don't know why. And we don't know how. And we know we don't deserve it. But he's able to give you more than you can ever ask or think. I remember one time when, and this is not a, a, a huge thing, but it's, it's something that always sticks in my mind. I'll tell you two stories. I remember when I worked at U-Haul years ago, it was probably, I don't know, 2007, 2008. And I lived in Sable at the time, and I was driving up to Corum for U-Haul. And um, I, we didn't have a lot of money at all. I worked multiple jobs, and um, new children were starting to come and stuff. And... Uh, I was praying about a car. I said, God, I'd really like a four-cylinder car. At the time, I had a Ford Explorer, six-cylinder Ford Explorer. I said, I'd really like to be something better on gas. And, and Lord, I w I'm praying for a stick shift car. Now, I never knew how to drive a stick shift, but I was praying for a stick shift car. And uh, so a four-cylinder stick shift car. Well, about a week or two later, one of my coworkers comes in and says, oh, my, my cousin's getting rid of her car. I know you were kind of looking for a car. Do you want it? And I was like, well, what kind of car is it? They said a Toyota Camry. And I said, is it four-cylinder? He's like, I don't know. I said, like, we'll find out. And I said, it has to be stick shift. I was praying for stick shift. Now, I'd never heard of a four-cylinder stick shift Camry. I know they exist, but I never heard of one. And he, he calls up and he says, yeah, it's four-cylinder stick shift car. I'm like, well, how much? She said, she'll sell it to you for $500. I was like, all right, that sounds really good for a car. The next day he comes in with all the stuff from the DMV and says, she doesn't want any money, she just wants to give it to you. Well, I drove that car for about two years, ran up all the miles, learned how to drive stick shift. Then it stopped working. It just didn't work anymore. N didn't work, it didn't run. And I don't know what to do to fix cars. And YouTube was brand new at the time, so I just left it in my driveway. And I just quit my job at U-Haul to go full-time at the church. And so now it was right before Christmas. It was like November, like right around this time. And, and uh, I was like, uh, now we have no money for Christmas. And I have, um, you know, because I quit the one job and, and all these things. And I get a knock on my door. And this, uh, this guy has got a heavy Russian accent. And he, it's, it's at night, and it's snowing out. And he says, I'd like to buy that car. I'm like, what car? He's like, the one there. I said, it doesn't even work. So I still want to buy it. I, said, I, I didn't have a for sale sign. I, I didn't advertise anywhere. I just left it there. And I was like, well, how much? He's like, how about $500? I'm like, you sure? He, he's like, yeah. And he wound up going a little bit lower. He showed up with a little bit less cash, but I was like, okay. Didn't work. And he towed it away. And I thought to myself, I got that car for free. I didn't deserve it, that's for sure. I ran it into the ground so it didn't work anymore. It was old car in the first place. And then he gave me just enough money to, to spend on Christmas for my kids. Now, none of that had any eternal changing of life. But it reminded me was, wow, God, that's way more than I ever could have ever thought. Because when I was praying for a car, I wasn't praying someone give me a car. I was praying that we can find one affordable. And God said, I got one better. Some years ago when our church was first starting, I was going out to a church planners conference in Washington State. And um, so I got on a plane. I was supposed to fly from um, New York City to Chicago, and from Chicago to Portland, and uh, from Chicago to Seattle, and then Seattle to Portland. I got to Chicago, and I was by myself, and um, I saw a direct flight from the same airline from Chicago to Portland, so I went into the bay there, and I said, hey, listen, can I 
I'm supposed to go from Chicago to Seattle to Portland. Can I just get on the flight to Portland? She said, there's no room. I was like, all right, no big deal. I went to the spot where the Seattle one was, and, and there was a big announcement. Uh, there's no more room on this flight. We're looking, we overbooked. We're looking for people to give up their tickets. And so I ran up there first, said, we'll give compensation. I ran up there, and I said, um, well, I give up my ticket, but uh, it has two conditions. Uh, number one, what are you giving? She said, we'll give you two uh, round-trip tickets. I'm like, oh, I like that. I said, but you got to get me on the Portland flight. So she makes a call, and she goes, yep, they got you on. I'm like, how'd they get me on that flight when she said there was no room? So I said, like, okay, we'll do it. So I gave up my flight there. I went to the Portland, and I was like, And I got on that flight, and it was packed flight. And I remember I was sitting right in the middle, and I took out my Bible and just to put it in my lap so I didn't have to fussle around. I wasn't trying to be super spiritual. I was just like, I'm going to read my Bible. And uh, so I put it on my lap, and the lady starts talking to me. I, my kids call it the gift. Wherever I go, people start talking to me. It doesn't matter. Like, like you'll, if the more you learn, you'll, you'll know. Like, I'll be at a, a, a fair, and there'll be a guy from, like, me to the lobby, and, he'll, and there's, there's, like, there's like hundreds of people here. And he'll see me, he'll go through the crowd right to me. And I'm like, I, I know he's coming. I don't know what it is, but I know he's coming. And there he is. And my kids can testify. My wife can tell He comes starts talking to me. It's, some, it's always something weird. It's not normal. It's not like, hi, you know, I noticed you're wearing like a, you know, Mets hat or something. It's always like, you know, one guy came up and goes, how are the Irish doing? I'm like, you, you walked all the way. That's what he did. I'm like, I, I don't know what that even means. Okay, I don't know what that means. That happened. I got a lot of stories like that. So this lady starts talking to me. And she is talking, talking, and she's got this horrible story. And she's Christian, and she got all excited about the Bible, but she's got this really horrible, horrible story. And I'm talking with her. I'm trying to, like, you know, kind of encourage her heart and stuff. She's like, what are you going there for? I said, well, we're going to church planners conference. We're going to raise some money for our church and such. We go to get off the flight, and she says, you know, I sold my house, and we didn't tithe on it. Okay? And she's like, I'm going to write, what's your church's name? And I was like, New Hope Baptist Church. And she gives us a check for $1,000. And I was like, uh, oh, thanks. And again, church, new, newer church plant, no money type of thing, or like, you know, you're trying to raise money type of thing. And she gives us a thousand dollars, and I, I was sitting there thinking, like, what in the? How many flights can you take? And you sit next to someone who's going to give you a thousand dollars, but never asking for a dime. And to think I wasn't supposed to be on that flight, but God put me on that flight for our church. It wasn't for me; it was for the church. We sent her a. I got her address, and we sent her a thank you card, and it came back: no such person, no such address. And then the chills went up my spine. I don't know what all that means. I'm not trying to interpret that for you. I'm just saying that was weird. Those are just two of probably hundreds of stories in my life where I start to think about, wow, God, I never would have gotten on a plane thinking or asking, God, someone here needs to give us $1,000. And I never would be sitting there thinking, God, someone needs to give me this... Um, this car, and so many other things. But then I'm reminded of the verse, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, the Spirit of God that works inside of us. Now you have hundreds of your own stories if you're a follower of God. Hundreds of stories where you can think about the goodness of God in a miraculous way that you can look at and say, man, I don't know how God got me through that. I don't know how God did that. I don't know why God blessed me with that. Those things that God did are to provide you for hope going in the future. If he did it then, he can do it again. If he blessed you then, and you're, he knew all your sins then, he'll bless you again. And we sit there and we say, why should we be so humdrum? Why should we be so down in the dumps? Yes, sometimes circumstances stink and they're painful. But let's see what our God can do. Think of Job real quick. And we'll be just about done. Job lost everything in basically one day. All ten children, all of his wealth, his wife's kind of like encouragement, his health, all of that in a span of a little while. And it was a painful process. 
But you know at the end, God restored it all. Even when you're in the pain, you say, okay, God, I know what God's going to do, something. I'm just going to ex excitedly wait for what he's going to do. I don't know if it'll be what I would have done. I don't know if it'll be to my liking, but I know he's going to do something. And I can't wait to see what God's going to do. Uh, the world has a saying, when one door shuts, another one opens, right? And, and that, those are all kind of true things, but I'll tell you this. Even when the door is shut, even when ten open, even when none are open, all we know is this. God is a miracle maker, promise keeper. We know He can do all those things. And so we sit on this word, hope. And hope is I believe. And now I joyfully wait to see the hand of God move that it can provide further confidence. Friend, are you in need of hope this morning? Is there something in your life that you're waiting for God to show up and do? Trust Him that He knows what's best. And that I want you to, trust me on this, I want you to joyfully wait for whatever it is. It might be a miracle. It may not be. But you can joyfully trust it's best. God is the God of taking something impossible and moving it out of the way. So maybe there's something impossible in your life right now that God says, I want to move out of the way. Maybe not. But don't give out on hope and say, if he hasn't done it yet, he has, he'll never do it. The hope of the Advent is the earnest expecting of the Messiah to come. The prophecy of the Messiah coming all the way back from Genesis 3. And then they waited and waited and waited and waited and waited and waited until one day a baby was born and he was there. Sometimes you wait. But God is a mountain mover. Let's rest on that. Let that inspire your heart and faith in God and not just faith in God and belief, but expectant, joyful confidence that he's going to do a work. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Friend, maybe you're here today and you are not saved. You're not a believer. You're not born again. What you've been hoping in in this world is at best wishful thinking. Let me call you to the place of hope and expectance of God and of Christ. Let Him save your soul today. It doesn't matter how dirty your life is. It doesn't matter how abounding of a mess you've made. It doesn't matter how sinful you've been. Christ will forgive you if you'll come to Him. There's nothing too hard for Him. And all that come unto me I will in no wise cast out. Maybe you're in need of salvation today. Is that you, friend? If you'd say this, Pastor Jason, if I die today, I don't know if I'm going to heaven. Would you please pray for me? I'm not sure I'm going to heaven when I die. Please pray for me. Would you quietly raise your hand that I might pray for you? Is there one like that's not sure of their eternity? God bless you. I see your hand. I'm not sure. Would you raise your hand? How about you today? Let me ask this question. How many people here would say, Pastor Jason, I am in needing of a revival of hope in my life. Uh, somehow that joyful expectance, that joyful confidence has dissipated. And I'm asking God to revive that hope inside of me. Uh, not just my faith, but more than that, my earnest expectation, my, my waiting on God to do something. And we're not we're talking name it, claim it, social gospel business here. We're talking about whatever God deems best. But if you are in need of a revival of hope in your life, can I pray for you? Can I encourage your heart? Would you raise your hand? If you're in need of a revival of hope today, I see hands. I see hands. I see hands. I see hands. Who else? Anybody else? I'm needing of a revival of hope this morning. I see hands. Praise the Lord. Yep, I see hands. Anybody else? And if you are, if you are strong on your hope today, I want you to praise God. I want you to, I want you to be excited. I want you to be infectious with that. Because we serve a risen Savior, not just a baby born in a manger, not one just died on the cross. 
and not one we just celebrate during Easter time, but we serve a risen Savior who's in the world today, right? I know he is living, no matter what man may say. And though this is not a resurrection uh, message, we have a God that is alive and knows and loves us and can move mountains. Let me ask one more question and we'll be done. How many people here <clears throat> are in need of God moving a mountain in their life? Can I pray for you at that end? I need a mountain moved in my life. Pastor Jason, would you pray for me? I see your hand and your hand and your hand. Okay, a lot of hands. My hand's raised. I need mountains moved, friend. I need mountains moved. Mountains I want moved. Anyone else wants a mountain moved? Can I pray for you about it? I see your hand too in your hand. In your hand. In your hand. In your hand. See, we're all in this together. Anybody else I missed? Didn't raise your hand yet? I have a mountain. God bless you. I see you. And I see you. Yeah. Let's stand to our feet. Head bowed, eyes closed. I'm going to pray in just a minute. The music's going to play. And I invite you to just come pray to God. Just come at the old-fashioned altar, we'll call it. And just get along with God. Pray for that mountain to be moved. Praise God if things are going well. Uh, maybe you need a revival of hope. You come ask for it. Let's pray first. And then I'll invite you to come in just a second. Father, I pray now in this time, you saw the hands raised. You saw the need of salvation. You saw the need of hope. You saw the need of mountains moved. And Father, I pray that they would take you at your word. They would trust you, Father. I pray that I would trust you. I pray that I would take you at your word, Lord, that I would joyfully expect whatever's going to happen, Lord, is in your hands. And whatever's going to happen, Lord, you know. Whatever's going to happen, it is best. And so, Father, I'm going to trust you for it. And, Lord, I pray for the same encouragement upon everybody here that we have a God who is able to do exceeding abundant above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And, so, Father, by that Holy Spirit and unto your glory, I pray these things. And Father, I pray that you'd help us and give us your will and help us to follow it. With everyone's head bowed, eyes closed, and the music plays, why don't you come? Why don't you come praise God? Why don't you come pray for hope? Why don't you come pray for mountains to be removed? But don't sit stagnant. Why don't you come? Come pray about it. Praise about it. I can pray for you. That's one thing. But you can pray about it too. One has come. How about you? There's still time. And friend, I understand sometimes a little bit intimidating to step out of your seat. Don't be. It's just friends here and God. Come talk to your Savior. On Sunday nights, we have testimonies at our services. Testimonies are a time to testify of all the mountains that God's moved and all the reasons of hope and of joy and also sharing burdens. I'm sure you have a hundred of them just like I do. Don't forget the Bible says you have not because you ask not. Why don't you come ask? I love that the Bible calls Jesus our blessed hope. We don't just follow a religion, we don't just follow a system. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him. The Word of God, 66 books written by 40 some odd different authors over a span of about 1,500 years on three different continents without one contradiction or mistake. That's something only put together by God. So my faith is in that. And that leads me to hope even when things are not going well. And what you might need, believer, more than anything else, is that revival hope. Because you've lost it. There's still people praying, so it's time for you to contemplate and pray in your seat. Father, we're so thankful, Lord, that you are worthy of our hope. Our hope is not in wishful thinking. Our hope is not in a genie in a bottle. Our hope is not in our deserving of something good. Our hope is in you, Father. 
an infinitely wise God who loves us. The true and only true God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, our hope is in you and you alone. There is no plan B. There is no back door out. It is you and you alone, and we trust you in this. So, Father, I pray that for your name's sake and for your glory, you do some mountain move and changes. And, Lord, that you do some things, Father, that we would look and say, I don't know how in the world, and we'd be reminded of that you're able to do above exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think. And so, Father, I pray that you move those mountains that need to be moved, encourage those hearts that need to be encouraged, revive hope where hope needs to be revived, save those that need to be saved. And, Father, I pray that you bless the fellowship and the refreshments after, bless our time together. And, Lord, as we now close in singing, I pray to be to your honor and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.